If you want to climb Mount Everest, which at 29,000 feet is the tallest mountain in the world, if you want to climb Mount Everest, uh, you've got to be pretty determined. Okay, you've you got to be a driven person. And yet, at the same time, you have to know when to call it quits, or you could possibly die. Uh, Gorn Krop is a Swedish mountaineer. And he is the perfect illustration of this balance between drivenness and knowing when to call it quits. Uh, at the age of 29, Gorn decided he was gonna, going to climb Mount Everest. So he packed up 240 pounds of climbing equipment onto his custom-made bicycle, and he biked all the way from Sweden, his home, to the foot of Mount Everest, 8,000 miles. Uh, along the way, he was robbed in Romania. He was assaulted by a mob in Pakistan. He got beat with a baseball bat by an angry motorist in Iran, but the dude kept pedaling. He finally made it to Mount Everest. took him about a month to get up to 26,000 feet. And at 26,000 feet, he built a camp from which he would ascend the, the, the final distance, final 3,000 feet to the top. And when, when, when he went to summit the mountain, he climbed through a blinding uh, snowstorm, and he got up to 28,700 feet, less than an hour from the top, and he suddenly realized that if he continued all the way to the peak, he wouldn't have enough strength to come back down. So he turned around. He turned around at 28,700 feet, and he went down the mountain, and he returned to Sweden. So what did his fellow mountaineers think about Goran wimping out like this? Well, they actually praised him for his good judgment. You know, one, one mountaineer said, I am considerably more impressed with Goran for having quit than I am if he had ascended to the top of Mount Everest. So I got a question for you today. The, the question is, do you know when to stop climbing? Okay, do, do you know when you've reached your limits? Do you know when enough is enough? Enough places to go and people to see and things to do. Do you know when it's important to say, I got to rest? Okay, I need some refreshment. Well, Jim and I want to talk to you today about the critical importance of leisure. The critical importance of leisure. And because we're in the third and final week of a marriage series, we want to talk specifically about the role that leisure plays in our relationship with our spouses. You see, because it is possible to kill a marriage or at least rob it of all joy by neglecting to spend the right amount and the right kind of time together. So welcome to the third week of Woo, Romancing Your Spouse. That's our series title, Woo. And today we're going to look at Song of Songs, the Old Testament book that has been our text for this series. We're going to discover four important aspects of romance-boosting leisure. Four aspects of romance-boosting leisure. So turn to Song of Songs in your Bible, a couple books past Psalms in the middle of the Bible. And take out that program and you'll find the outline so you can fill it in and follow along. The first aspect of romance-boosting leisure is this. Number one, the intentional getaway. The intentional getaway. What I mean by intentional is that if we don't go after it in our relationships and in our marriages, it is not going to just happen. Won't just happen. As we have been learning, Song of Songs is a love poem. Imagine that. God determined that this book would be in Scripture. It's dedicated to 
the, the romance of a married couple. And it is in the, in the Bible, and he wants us to model from this couple how to pursue romance with our spouses. Having read through this book a number of times, I'm so impressed with the initiative that was taken by both the man and the woman to get away for some marital R&R. One of the repeating phrases in Song of Songs is, come with me, come away, let's go, take me with you. Listen to these verses. You may want to write the word leisure in the margin of your Bible as I read them to you. Chapter 1, verse 4, take me away with you, let us hurry. Chapter 2, verse 10, my beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened. There I will give you my love. This married couple intentionally spent leisure time together. Yeah, so, so this is a built-in blessing of a good marriage, right? You got a good spouse, a good spouse should be a good companion. Uh, I read the weirdest news story recently about a Chinese engineer, a 31-year-old guy by the name of Zheng. And Zheng wanted the companionship of a marriage partner, uh, but he couldn't find the right woman, so he decided to make one. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not making this up. He's, he's got expertise in artificial intelligence, and so Zheng made this humanoid robot, gave her the name Ying Ying. And Ying Ying can speak some basic sentences and she can do some household chores. But here's the, the really weird part and why it made the news. Just recently, Zheng married Ying Ying in an official wedding ceremony attended by his mom and uh, a number of good friends. Now, let me just say that every person, every married person who's listening to me right now, whether you're at one of our campuses or watching online, you should be thanking God that you're not married to a robot. Okay, that, that you are, are married to a living human partner with whom to enjoy life. So are you taking full advantage of that companionship? Are you being intentional about the time that you're spending together? See, this, this intentionality should be something that both the husband and the wife value. The responsibility for initiating leisure time activities together has got to come from both spouses. It doesn't work if the husband is the only one saying, hey, babe, let's get away. Let's go do something. You know, and, and, and the wife is saying, well, I can't get a sitter. You know, or, hey, if you got that much energy, why don't you go clean the garage? Or, or if we do something late tonight, I'm going to be blasted all tomorrow. Okay, but it can't be the wife who's always taking the initiative saying, honey, let's, you know, let's do a date. You got any ideas? And the husband's saying, well, the Cubs game's on tonight. Or he's saying, you know, I, I got a proposal at work tomorrow, I got to work on, or there's, you know, there's a lawn to be mowed, it's springtime, it grows a foot every day. In Song of Songs, leisure activity together is a priority for both the husband and the wife. They are equally interested in hanging out with each other. So, quick application for couples if you're the one in your marriage who drags your heels when it comes to doing stuff together, leisure, getting away, Start cooperating. Start, in, in fact, you be the one on occasion who says, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't we go do what? Now, here, here's something else that I want to point out about this couple's intentionality in Song of Songs. Sometimes it's spontaneous, 
And sometimes it's carefully planned out. Okay, sometimes it's spontaneous, sometimes it's carefully planned out. But both spontaneity and planning play an important role in marriage getaways. The the first verse that Susan read to you a few moments ago, Song of Songs chapter 1, verse 4, describes a spontaneous getaway. The wife says to her husband, take me away with you, let's hurry. And take me away, let's do it right now. And friends, we got to do that sometimes, intentionally. We got to drop everything and just go, whether it's out to dinner or or whether it's for a getaway weekend. We, We can't be so organized I speak into the organized members of the marriage team right now. We can't be so organized that we always insist on having a three-day notice before we can go out on a date together. I mean, there, there is a role for uh, spontaneity. You know, let's drop everything. Let's go do it right now in a marriage. Now, on the other hand, some of us overdo the spontaneity thing. Okay, some of us have a habit of flying by the seat of our pants, and so we become impatient with our spouse. We we become irritable with our spouse when he or she says to us, well, I can't just drop everything. Like, if you would just give me a little bit advance notice. Sometimes intentional leisure activities need to be planned. Sometimes they need to be planned. And that's what we see in the last group of verses that Sue read a moment ago, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. The wife makes a suggestion for a getaway that reflects some careful thought on her part. It's obvious she's put together a little itinerary here. She she says, chapter 7, 11 and 12, Come, my beloved, let's go to the countryside, and then we'll spend a night in the villages, and then we'll go early in the vineyards to see if the vines have budded. wow, Wow, it sounds to me like... You know, like this wife has gone online and she's found a great bed and breakfast in the country and it's even next to a vineyard so the next day we could go on a wine tasting tour, right? She's got the whole plan worked out. Listen, married couples, as, as busy as most of our schedules are putting something on the calendar ahead of time, having a game plan is going to be the only way to ensure that leisure times happen in our marriages. Putting something on the calendar may be the only way we can ensure that leisure time is going to happen in our marriages. You get it? Get it? Good. And just to underscore this, I want to show you a t-shirt that one of my high school buddies named Jordan out at the DeKalb campus made for me this week. Okay, this is not a strip tease here. I just got to show you you this t-shirt. You're going to love this. Jordan, I hope that you're watching on our video feed right now. Can you see it? Get it? Got it? Good. All right. Thank you. Please don't encourage him. (laughs) Before I move on to the next point, I have to tell you an amusing story about Jim. Jim is much more spontaneous than I am. And over the years, I have said, honey, could, could you plan a little bit and then give me a little heads up, some notice, right? Well, some time ago... I must have pleaded a little too hard because Jim planned this anniversary uh, weekend for us that was over the top. I mean, way over the top, planned to the minute. So we got up on a Saturday morning and we drove into Chicago and we had a nice brunch together at a buffet. And then we walked the streets to see the Christmas decorations, you know, Michigan Ave and State Street, and our anniversary's in December, so it's a beautiful time. It's our favorite thing to do. And then we went to the Chicago Symphony that evening, 
And at midnight, we drove home. It's a Saturday night. So Sunday morning, we got up and we went to church. And after church, Jim had uh, tickets to a local performance of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. I'm not done. <laughs> then we went and had dinner with some friends that had been in our bridal party. And we couldn't linger with them over coffee and dessert because, no, he had tickets to a Christmas um, concert at Wheaton College, our alma mater. I'm still not done. <laughs> that night, we drove to Milwaukee, <laughs> stayed in a nice hotel. The next morning, we could not l linger because at 9 o'clock, we had to be at a one-day marriage conference that Jim had signed us up for. <laughs> still not done. <laughs> and we met a couple that we really enjoyed, so we had dinner with them before we drove home. I'm exhausted just from telling you about the weekend. It about killed us. It, it took us a week to recover. I will never again ask Jim to put more planning into our getaways. He was certainly intentional, I have to say that. But the point is this. May I encourage couples to be intentional about spending leisure time together, but make sure it's leisure. Here's a second aspect of romance-boosting leisure that's described in Song of Songs. Number two, the intimate getaway. The intimate getaway. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy here. I'm just talking about being alone with each other. Alone, nobody else invited. One of the images in Song of Songs that's repeatedly used to describe this couple's marriage is that it's like a garden. A garden. Now, two weeks ago, Jim and I explained that the garden imagery conveys a sense of both spiritual well-being as well as sexual enjoyment. Spiritual well-being, sexual enjoyment. But the point I want to make here is that the picture of the garden also underscores the importance of privacy. Of privacy. So while it's healthy to share your marriage, of course, with your kids and your extended family, with your friends, it is critical to reserve time for just the two of us. And this is really hard for those of us who are extroverts, right? We always want to add somebody else to the mix. Listen to this description of a private garden in Song of Songs, beginning at chapter 4, verse 12. The husband is speaking to the wife. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Now here's the wife's response to her husband's description of her as a private garden. She says, awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Did you notice that she calls herself his garden? She's not a public park. She's a private garden. And here's the husband's response to his wife's invitation. Chapter 5, verse 1. I have come into my garden, my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. This husband 
is alone. He's alone with his wife. So we're talking about an intimate, an intimate getaway. Sometimes a husband and wife just need to enjoy some leisure time by themselves. Again, this is, this is not an outing with the kids. This is not a double date with some close friends. It's just the two of them. Uh, I've found that even taking the dog along on a leisurely walk with Sue can sometimes spoil the intimacy of the getaway. Now, you dog owners can appreciate this. You know, occasionally I'll, I'll say to Sue, after dinner, well, let's, you know, let's go for a walk, and then one of us will foolishly suggest, why don't we take the dog? So you leash up the dog. Now, the first thing that happens is you can no longer walk on the sidewalk because there's not enough room for two adults in a 60-pound beast, okay? So we're walking on the street, and you're getting in a good conversation, and it's just beginning to go someplace, and a car comes. But you got to dodge the car, and you scatter to get out of the way, and then you get back to the street with the dog, and you say, where were we? And you try to pick it up where you left off, and you restart the conversation, and now it's starting to get serious, and the dog stops dead and starts scratching the ground. And now the conversation becomes something like this. You think she's got to do something? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she just smells another dog. No, I think she's got to do something. Well, did you bring a plastic bag? Well, I didn't bring a plastic. I thought you brought the plastic. I didn't bring the plastic. We got to go back for the plastic bag. You, you see where this is going? An intimate moment totally ruined by a four-legged distraction. Now, friends, I love my dog. I love my friends. I love my kids. But if Sue and I are going to put some woo into our marriage, if we're going to restore some romance to our relationship, then we've got to get alone by ourselves on occasion. I find it interesting that in the opening book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, as God performs the very first wedding in history between Adam and Eve, he gives some instructions for all future wedding couples. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 he says that the couple, they're to leave their parents and cling to each other. Now, you've heard these words many times at wedding ceremonies, right? Leave and cling, leave and cling. And friends, what that tells us is that there's a priority relationship-wise here. The priority is in the marriage relationship, not the relationship that you have with your parents or that you have with your kids. They're of secondary importance to this relationship you have with each other. And so these other relationships better not get in the way of that primary, most important relationship. If you're knocking yourself out to be at your kids' soccer games and ballet recitals and school events, or maybe your kids are grown now and they got kids of their own, and so you're going to everything under the sun for your grandkids, but you're neglecting the alone time with your husband or wife to do all that? You know, your, your, your marriage... Your marriage, hopefully, is going to outlive your parenting responsibilities. So it's wise to invest in the long-term health of this primary relationship. And ultimately, you've heard me say this before, ultimately, the best thing you, if you're a parent, the best thing you could do for your kids is to have a great marriage with your spouse. You know, th this is the reason that we launched a marriage series on Mother's Day a couple weekends ago. We, we, we want to give a gift to moms and say, here, let, let us give a boost. Let's build some romance back into your marriage because that's the best thing you can do for your kids. Outside of leading them to Jesus, a great relationship with your spouse is the, the best thing you could do for your kids. So the intimate getaway, just 
the two of us going off for a meal or a walk or an overnight. Number three, the in-nature getaway. The in-nature getaway. I got to say before I do this point, I just got a text between services here from a, uh, a family that goes to Christ Community and the couple, uh, encouraged by this wedding, this marriage series rather, got away this weekend. But they were watching our li live stream service and so they're listening to the In Nature Getaway, this next point, as they're camping out together. Is that cool or what? So Sue and I love hiking and biking in the outdoors. In fact, next month, uh, we're going to spend a week at Grand Teton National Park hiking. Uh, we did this two years ago, same place. We're going back to this lodge that's got an uh, enormous bay window that looks out over this majestic mountain range. If you've never seen the Grand Tetons, oh, fabulous mountains. And last time we went, we stayed at the same lodge, and one of the things we appreciated was that in the evenings they had educational seminars. So the first evening we were there, we hadn't hiked at all yet, just unpacked our bags, eaten dinner. We went to the seminar on grizzly bears. Not exactly a great seminar to go to before you've done your hiking. And the presenter that night was a, a surgeon, a doctor, whose expertise in grizzly bears had come because he'd stitched up so many people who'd been mauled by grizzly bears. So he had some humdinger stories to tell. And he warned us, he said, if you see a grizzly bear, make sure you, you stay 100 yards away. He said, if they charge you, don't run. <laughs> I'm thinking, right. And he said, be sure you've got a canister of bear spray with you at all times. So next morning, before we go out on our first hike, I get a canister of bear spray. And I carry that sucker around for like three, four days in my backpack. Never see a bear. And it's heavy. It's cumbersome. So day five, I put it in the back seat of my car. And we go out on a hike. And we get four miles into this five-mile loop. We're going around a lake, and we're almost all the way around. And we see the most ginormous grizzly bear I've ever seen. And he's walking parallel to the path that we're on. And he's not the mandatory 100 yards away. Nope, nobody gave him the, the memo, OK? He's like less than 100 feet away. And so we stop. And I'm thinking, well, what should we do? You know, part of me says it's not smart to keep going that way that the grizzly bear is going. But on the other hand, we're four miles into a five-mile loop. I don't want to retrace our steps. So we're standing there trying to figure out what to do. And this couple comes walking up the path behind us. Big strapping dude. He's got a U.S. Marines T-shirt on. And he's hiking with his girlfriend. And I, I warned him. I said, there's a grizzly bear right up the trail. And he goes, oh, cool. And he takes off. So I said to Sue, let's go. The bear's going to eat him first, you know? <laughs> now, now, the point of this, what is the point of this story? <laughs> okay, the point of the story is that not every outdoor getaway is relaxing or marriage bonding like that hike, but there is something about being out in nature that still is uh, refreshing and fun, right? Well, let me read two passages from Song of Songs that describes this couple's in-nature getaways. The first one is chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. The wife says to her husband, How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. Verdant. Verdant means green, grassy, leafy. So this couple is obviously lying side by side on a picnic blanket outdoors. 
And the husband replies in verse 17, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters, our firs. Can you just picture them looking up through the tree branches overhead? Question, when was the last time you relaxed on a blanket outdoors with your spouse? Whether it be under a tree or on a secluded beach or in the backyard under the stars. Okay, flip ahead to chapter 2 and drop down to verse 10 through 13. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Ooh, let's hear it. The rains are over <laughs> and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming of vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Oh, doesn't that sound like an idyllic place to be with your spouse? What is it about the outdoors that makes it an idyllic destination for a couple's getaway? I want to answer that question by using the word close, close in three different ways. Number one, an indoor nature getaway brings a couple close to God, close to God. I'm struck by the fact that when even Jesus wanted to connect with the Heavenly Father, he would go outdoors by the Sea of Galilee or the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane. I myself would much rather watch a simple sunset holding hands with Jim than to be you know, pushing our way through a shopping mall or screaming our lungs out at an indoor sporting event. It's not that God isn't at the mall or the sporting event, but we don't savor his presence and his creation in those places. Not as much as when we're walking a beach or riding a bike along a river or sitting around a fire pit under the stars. Second, an indoor nature getaway can be done, not only does it draw us close to God, but close to home. It can be done close to home. Interestingly, the vocabulary in Song of Songs is um, very descriptive, and you would think this love poem is someplace exotic. There's lots of words about um, plants and animals and spices and precious gemstones, and you must think, they traveled far to get to this gorgeous place. No, ma no, no wonder it was romantic, right? But Bible scholars tell us that those plants and animals and spices and precious gemstones of Song of Songs were actually very common to their locale, to the place where they lived. So apparently Song of Songs is, is, is a description of their local surroundings. Their local surroundings. That's the wonderful part about heading outdoors no matter where you live. Again, whether you're Streamwood or DeKalb or Aurora or St. Charles, there's something special about the nature that's nearby. Jim and I love to get on our bikes and ride along the river, and every time we do, we say, we remark, I can't believe this is so close to home. Third, an indoor nature getaway is not only close to God and close to home, but it's close to budget. It's close to budget. It doesn't cost anything. So maybe you don't have the money for a weekend golf outing in Phoenix um, or for good seats at Wrigley Field or Orchestra Hall. Maybe you can't afford dinner for two at a nice restaurant, but you can go outside for free. And even if you have the money for those more expensive options, maybe it's time to stop and smell the roses, literally, right? 
to get away. Yeah, this afternoon. See you on the bike path. All right, number four, the interactive getaway. Uh, I sat down and I read through Song of Songs one more time this past week. By the way, this is only six pages in my Bible, so I'm guessing it takes about 20 minutes to read it. Uh, if you've been sitting through this marriage series and you've not yet read through Song of Songs, I would encourage you to do it with your spouse sometime this week. And, and once again, as I read through Song of Songs, I was impressed with the amount of dialogue in this book between the husband and wife. The truth of the matter is there's not, there's not much action in this book. She just wants to sit, chapter 2, verse 3, in the shade of her husband and, and he's content, chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, to browse among the lilies with her. Nothing very exciting. They, they just enjoy hanging out with each other and talking. Talking. I mean, this is not an older couple that's too tired to do anything else. This is a young couple with lots of energy. I mean, can't they come up with a better date idea than conversation? Something exciting. You know, like go to an adventure, an action movie together. Go to Bourne. What number are we on? Born 17. <laughs> Go to one of the bazillion superhero movies out there. What could be more exciting than sitting in the dark next to your spouse looking at a big screen for two hours and not saying a word to each other other than, is there any more popcorn there? You know, is that, that the best idea we can come up with? Couples, married couples. How many of our date ideas, listen, how many provide minimum opportunity for communication? Minimum opportunity for communication. Now you compare that with Song of Songs, this red-hot love poem that's got so much dialogue, so much conversation between husband and wife. They're talking to each other. Now, now I know that that raises, that raises an issue for a lot of us. When we think about going out, even when you got a good date idea, maybe you grabbed a, a Groupon and so you found a fancy restaurant for relatively cheap and you're sitting across the table from each other, one problem we face is now we don't know what to say. Okay, we finally got this time together and we don't know how to go beneath the surface. Or the other problem we run into is that our conversation drifts to family matters. So we're talking about the kids and the problems and the bills and the next household thing we got to get done and it becomes a business conversation. So let me give you some real practical help here, all right? This is a resource that Sue and I have, have found and I've shared this before, but it just works really great. It's a questions resource. Now, the questions resource, we, we used to gravitate toward one that was in the form of a book. It, it's a book called A Thousand and One Questions. Thousand and One Questions. We even sell it at the resource centers at each of our four campuses. J just to encourage conversation, maybe in your community group. But a thousand questions, one of us would call on a number, 467. The other one looks it up, reads it out loud, and the first person who called it out now has to answer that question. And you're off. You're off and running. And it's no more just about the weather or the Cubs or whatever. You know, it's about stuff that digs a little deeper. Uh, I, we don't even use the book anymore because I've now found that you can get a phone app. I've got two different phone apps on my phone right now, one, one is called Road Trip Icebreaker Questions for Couples, and the other is Questions in a Box. And I'm guessing if you go to the App Store, you could probably find half a dozen more apps that you could have on your phone with you anytime you need it. We use these questions almost every day. 
We use these questions when we're going away for a weekend. We use these questions around a table when we've got our grown kids with us or when we've got friends around the table. Just a great way to stimulate conversation, to make it interactive, to dig beneath the surface in each other's life, find out what's really going on. Now, now one footnote to this, but a very, very important footnote. If you want the interactive conversation, if you want it to go deep, then make sure you include God in it at some point. You know, ask each other the question, so where are you reading in the Bible lately, babe? You know, what are you, what are you getting out of God's Word? It assumes that you're both reading the Bible. So if you're not a Bible reader, I'd encourage you to pick up our Bible-savvy reading schedule, and it'll take you through the Bible in four years, and when you get on that schedule and you're reading every day, you got something God-wise to talk about. you got some God questions to bring up. Or you could talk about, so what's at the top of your prayer list these days? You know, or what do you think God wants out of our marriage now? What, how could our marriage be more pleasing to Jesus than it is currently? You're moving a conversation in a Godward direction. And then conclude the conversation by actually spending some time together in prayer. Some married couples have never prayed out loud together. There is nothing more bonding. There's nothing more romantic, inducing than, than being able to pray together, putting the woo back in your marriage. Make God the center of it. You know, when Sue and I take our, our, our strolls down the Fox River, probably three or four times a week, we do this three-and-a-half, four-mile loop, and lots of good conversation, but uh, a portion of that time, every time we take the stroll, is dedicated to spending time in prayer with each other, praying for each other. So let, let me sum up where we've been today. Pursue your spouse with leisure. Pursue your spouse with leisure. That means intentional getaways. They're not going to happen unless you plan them. Whether they're a date or an overnight or a week away, especially those of you with young kids and you've got to make arrangements for somebody else to watch the kids. It's not going to happen unless it's intentional. Second, you want it to be intimate. You want it to be you and your spouse. We're not talking about double dates with other couples. We're not talking about being out with extended family or friends. We're talking about you and your husband, you and your wife. Third, we said that it's beneficial when these are in nature getaways. And you sort of bring a sense of God's creation into the whole thing. And then lastly, interactive getaways. When conversation is central you know, to that time that you spend together, when you're digging beneath the surface and truly getting to know each other. Well, this is the closing sermon of the Woo Marriage series, so you won't have to listen to me speak for a while. And I just want to thank you for your kindness and encouragement as I have done this with Jim. I told Jim the other day I wanted to add a P.S. to this series. It's really important to me, near and dear to my heart, and it's this thought if we really want to add romance and love to our marriages, we're most likely to do that if we feel that we are each deeply loved by God, that we're deeply loved by God. The more we experience God's love and believe it and rely on it and know it to be true, the better we will love others. You see, this vertical relationship with God and his love happens first, and then we are able to love others well. We love because he first loved us, Scripture says. 
And maybe that's why the Apostle Paul, when he was praying for people, he prayed that they would know, really know, the love of Christ. Listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. May I close today's sermon by praying this prayer for all of us at all four campuses. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your great love. Oh, we cannot believe that while we were still sinners and not pursuing you, you pursued us, you wooed us, you sent your son to die for our sin. Thank you that as we confess our sin and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus, you forgive us and fill us with your love. Even now, Lord, you hear the whisper of a heart cry that is ready to surrender to you and to your love. Oh God, how your love changes everything. I pray for my friends here today, no matter their marital status, that they can know and grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for them. May they hear you say to them, come away, my beloved, and have leisure time with me. God, thank you that you want to fill us up with the ocean-sized resource of your great love every day. And therefore, from that, we carry out the assignment to love one another, and for those who are married, to love their spouse. Teach us, Lord, to be loved and to love well, to your honor and glory and fame. And may our broken, watching world see our love and know that we are your disciples and be drawn into that love as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.